everybody. Welcome to the Young Farmers Podcast. I'm Jessica Manley, and today I'm here with Maggie Kaiser, our food safety manager. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. This month, we're sharing two episodes, both focused on what can be one of the most daunting areas of farming, food safety. COVID has really changed the conversation around food safety for farmers, right, Maggie? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really changed the way that we are working with farmers to get them this this information. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about this project? We're going to be listening to an episode today that's part of a larger series on food safety. So how did this all get started? Yeah. So uh, at the end of 2019, Kara Fravar, Business Services Director, uh, and I got a grant from uh, the Food Safety Outreach Program, part of USDA, and we had planned to do a whole bunch of in-person food safety trainings with our chapters. We joked that we were going on tour, we wanted to get band t-shirts, we were really trying to have fun with it. And then COVID changed all of our travel plans. So we did what I like to call the pandemic pivot. And we moved to a project that um, we called the Food Safety Focus Group Series. What did that end up looking like? How did you, how did you work on this project remotely and in a pandemic? Well, we use Zoom for all of our focus groups and they mostly follow the same format. We brought in a farmer expert who gave a presentation about a produce safety topic that was particularly relevant to their farm. And then we followed it with a round table discussion amongst all of the farmer participants. And we hit on a whole range of topics, um, including hydroponics, managing an educational farm and working with volunteers, CSA distribution. We talked about food safety in urban environments, making SOPs. Uh, and developing a food safety plan using our food safety guidebook. So if somebody listens to this episode and they are so excited to learn more about food safety, is there a way that they can listen to all of the conversations? Through our website, actually. So go to youngfarmers.org slash food safety. And there you can link to our online resource library where we'll have uh, the extended versions of these episodes as well as many more and lots of other food safety resources, including our guidebook. Ooh, yes. Do you want to say, maybe say a little bit about our guidebook? This was a big project last year. Our guidebook is called A Young Farmer's Practical Guide to Food Safety. And we wanted it to be just that, really practical, useful information that breaks down a lot of what is in this federal regulation called FSMA, um, and specifically the produce safety rule. One other resource we've created recently is a tip sheet that outlines all of the produce safety supplies and equipment that you can buy using our member discounts from places like Johnny's, Farm Tech, and Premier One Fencing. So if people listening are not already a member of the coalition, um, you can do that very easily at youngfarmers.org join. And it's just $35 a year or $5 a month. Um, and As Maggie said, you can get discounts at all of these companies. So you can sign up for a membership at youngfarmers.org slash join for $35 a year or $5 a month. And really it pays for itself if you just make one purchase. I bought a BCS using our member discounts and that, uh, that covered my membership, I think, for the rest of my life. Wow. 
Awesome. So which farmer are we going to hear from today? Today we are going to hear from Scott Chang Fleeman. Uh, he is a farmer in Marin County, also part of our network. He grows Asian specialty crops. Um, and we talked to him about scaling produce safety practices with your operation. And it just, Scott is an amazing farmer. It seems like produce safety just really clicks. He has actually scaled his operation quickly, and he has thought about produce safety at pretty much every step of the way. And he just really has his shit together, too. Very cool. I can't wait to listen. Welcome. So my name is Maggie Kaiser. I'm the Produce Safety Training Coordinator for the National Young Farmers Coalition. And I'm also a farmer in New Orleans and one of the organizers for our local chapter of the coalition. Um, And y'all are here today to participate in the focus group, which we're calling Scaling Up Produce Safety Practices with Your Farm Operation. We'll be hearing from Scott Chang Fleeman of Shan Farm in California. We will now pass it to Scott and he'll do a more in-depth introduction of himself and his farm. Yeah. All right, here we go. It's a a screen share. All right, so uh, yeah, my name is Scott Cheng Fleeman, he, him pronouns. I have a five and a half acre uh, mixed vegetable farm in uh, Marin County. Uh, We're about a half mile off the coast, uh, about an hour north of San Francisco. So we grow predominantly uh, Asian heritage vegetables. We're certified organic, and we service primarily the Asian American community in the broader Bay Area. We're strictly vegetables. We focus in direct marketing. So we have a 65-member CSA. We do two farmers markets, and we sell direct to chefs. We're a small-scale farm, so we're we're only five and a half acres, uh, of which we cultivate anywhere between four to five of those acres. Our sales are below $500,000 a year, which puts us into the exempt category, one of the exempt categories for FISMA, I believe. We are small enough and we do so much direct marketing that we do find ourselves in a lot of exemptions for food safety, but we do take food safety super seriously here. And as we're getting larger and looking towards the future of potentially expanding to, you know, 50 plus acres, um, we want to kind of implement Uh, a lot of these good practices in early on. So last year was our first year, and there was a few things that just put into place kind of immediately. So uh, with food safety, I feel like a lot of the stuff uh, that I think about is with the water. Um, So we have ag water, and then we also have your potable wash water. So our farm, we irrigate entirely off of rainwater catchment uh, into uh, reservoirs on the property. And we lease land on a larger cattle ranch, so previously, this reservoir was just kind of free range for the cattle to, to drink straight out of the, uh, the reservoir from. The previous farmer actually used NRCS funding to fence in the reservoir and uh, create like a gravity bed uh, trough system so that we can exclude the cattle from the reservoir so we can prevent any kind of uh, contamination. I think also in our first year, it was a conscious decision knowing that we use surface water to irrigate to use pretty much only uh, drip irrigation, which is a little bit lower risk for food safety um, because most of what we grow on our cold coastal climate is uh, leafy greens. So we we focus on drip irrigation to minimize that risk. With our wash water, we use well water on the property. We're not on any kind of city water. 
Um, so we actually have uh, an agreement with our landlords to do regular water testing to check for coliforms. And then we also, we have uh, an agreement with our landlords to chlorinate our water to uh, municipal levels, just in case. And I think that that's something that, especially in our first year, is really important. And it's important to have that kind of written out, either in your lease or in a separate agreement with your landlords, uh, to just have some kind of clarity that if you had a food safety issue come up, and it had to do with the wash water, there was a paper trail of whose responsibility was it and where was the gaps, the gap in responsibility. In our first year, it was a one-person operation. It was just me farming on two and a half acres, and that is um, inherently a lot lower risk, I feel like, for food safety because you don't really have to deal with communicating any kind of like SOPs or communicating anything to employees. And then, uh, like I mentioned, also, we, we do a lot of direct marketing, so we don't really work with any wholesale distributors right now or in our first year. Um, so the risk was really, really low because if there was any kind of an issue, I could just reach out directly um, to recall from the customers myself. So now we're in year two. You know, we scaled up from two and a half acres to four acres is now in cultivation. Uh, and as we scaled up the operation, both in size and complexity, we're trying to scale up our food safety efforts as well. We have a written plan, you know, down the line, we want to make it a little bit more official, but having any kind of written plan, I think really shows at least that your farm has the intention of having a strong focus on food safety. So just writing out like the first thing you do when you come to the farm is you wash your hands, you know, like having that written out, I think is pretty important. Um, this year also, we really uh, built out our packing shed. And I feel like a lot of food safety stuff kind of happens in the wash pack. And then uh, the type of packaging we used um, now with COVID and just with the higher volume of produce that's going out, we have a little bit more focus on what type of packaging we're using, making sure that it's sanitized if it is reusable or that it's clean if it's a disposable. Um, so here's just some photos from our pack shed just to kind of show how simple, like we just have a jug of water with the thing of hand soap and paper towels. Uh, and it's just kind of first thing when you show up, like, everybody knows like that's the first thing you do is you wash your hands. I like this setup because also we'll use it as a mobile wash, uh, hand wash station. We'll just bring the jug of water and the soap and the towels with us in the truck when we go out to harvest in the fields. Uh, so that way if anybody blows their nose, there's no real excuse for not being able to like walk all the way back to the packing shed. So it increases your like efficiency as well. We tried to set up some like pretty simple systems. This was something we were really concerned about was our reusable crates going out to market. Um, and coming back, we bring our van back from market and we kind of treat anything that went out into like the real world, what we call, um, as just assuming it's contaminated. And this is both for COVID, but also just any kind of food safety. Like honestly, there's probably other uh, bacteria and germs that are probably more higher risk through this like kind of contact surface stuff. So we have it very clear, like this is all of the dirty market returns come right out of the van that gets parked right here. So it's super simple. We just unload and drop them right there. We don't have to like walk them up somewhere else, which would disincentivize us from like putting them in the right place. Um, and then all of these get washed out and sprayed with this bleach solution. Everything with our food safety, we just try to make as convenient and easy as possible to make sure that it actually happens. Um, and then you can see on the other side, they get stacked on that clean crate pallet, which is on the opposite side of the packing shed. So there's really... It's really clear. Uh, we don't really even have to label it because it's just very clear. If a crate is dirty, it's on one side of the packing shed. If it's clean, it's all the way on the other side. So the only way it would be able to get on the clean pallet is if it went through the packing shed and got cleaned. Food safety before harvest, like getting all of our harvest supplies ready, 
Um, food safety during harvest, we sanitize our knives um, with that same bleach solution and make sure they're clean. Uh, obviously washing hands while we're working. This picture, I'm wearing a mask, which is like super not necessary. <laughs> I don't think when you're like actually out there. We actually started working in masks for kind of two reasons. First of all, like where we farm is really cold <laughs> like on the coast. It's super cold and windy. And I just kind of found like, I, I like it because my face would always get super cold in the morning with the ocean breeze. So it's, it's like just more comfortable. But uh, like COVID safety aside, we found also that like, you're way less likely to just be like touching your face and blowing your nose without really like if you have a mask you're going to think about before you touch your face or put something in your mouth you have to think about it so it just kind of creates that like consciousness of preventing any kind of like fish touching and then produce touching so that's kind of what we do during harvest and, you know, and then we have like written out in our plan as well if there's bird shit on a leaf like we just avoid that entire plant you know like really writing things out so that there is no excuse for it, you know, not like we just pick that leaf off and pick the plant anyways. It's like, we just avoid that. Uh, we also don't run the irrigation while we're harvesting. So there's no risk of like contamination from pond water coming in uh, into, into produce. And then we go to the post-harvest, which our post-harvest packing shed is very simple. We have a spray table and we have a dunk tank. 99% of what we harvest, we just spray. The dunk tank is really only for if we have something that's like exceptionally dirty or super buggy. And the reason we, we chose for spraying over dunking is that if you have, um, say, like a head of bok choy that has some bacteria or something on it, and you throw it in the dunk tank with everything, you now have a batch contamination where potentially everything got contaminated because of one bad product. Most of what we do as well is we, we field pack. So we harvest into the wax boxes that we're, that we're going to distribute for sale, or we harvest into those orange totes. And then all we do is spray them down. So we don't actually advertise our produce as washed and we tell folks to wash it, even though it, it ends up being fairly clean. We kind of put that burden on the customer um, as long as it looks clean enough for us to bring to market. So pretty much we're cutting it, holding it in the field, putting it straight in the crate, spraying it down pretty much just to take the field heat out and it goes in the cooler. And then the next person who touches it is the customer. So that's post harvest. And then now during transportation, Another thing was scaling up this season, went from being a one truck farm to a two truck farm. Last year I did everything just with my little red Toyota. And, you know, for most folks, a lot of folks with small farms, you know, you have your farm truck, which is your delivery vehicle. It's your manure hauling vehicle. It's your personal vehicle. It's the dogs get in the back. Like it's kind of everything, which is kind of a nightmare <laughs> for food safety. Um, and you can see in this picture, you know, I was, I was bringing the cover crop seed out, but I've also got a jug of diesel in the back, which if that spilled and then I'm putting like leafy vegetables, super not ideal. <laughs> um, so food safety during transportation, we now have a designated delivery van and the delivery van, we don't put anything in except for clean produce. And then the red truck is now like the utility truck and my personal vehicle. And when we, we actually do harvest into our red truck, but that's all pre-processed produce gets harvested into the red truck. And now we have a truck bed liner that gets sprayed down and sanitized before every, every harvest. And then all that produce gets semi-washed afterwards. So that's during transportation. Then we get to market. Um, obviously there's a lot of like COVID stuff, which this isn't a presentation about COVID, but there's, you know, basic stuff with food safety at market that I think COVID started, which is probably good where so we have market now we run with two people i'm the produce handler and then one of my employees will be the cash handler so that way nobody's touching cash and then touching vegetables um, so i do all the shopping for everybody 
our customers start on the right side of the stand and then they work their way around and then they pay on the left side. Um, so that way we only ever have three customers at a time. There's like one person waiting on the right side, one person I'm helping in the middle and one person paying on the other side. So everyone's at least 10 feet away from each other. Um, and then we also have what we call our COVID wall of flowers in the front, <laughs> which is um, we put a bunch of crates in the front to get people to stand back even further because everyone was still touching the produce, um, even with this blue rope up. So we put crates in the front so nobody could touch the produce, but then we just decided to put all our flowers out there to make it look a little less intense. Yeah, and then food safety at market, obvious stuff, you know, just like if it falls on the ground, don't put it back on the display. Um, uh, we set up a trash and like and compost bins like very clear. We unload all of our produce onto a pallet. We bring a pallet, a plastic pallet with us to offload before we set up the display. And then all of our back stock produce is in uh, the orange tote in a plastic liner, but then we stack, we nest that into another one. So it has like a couple inch gap off of the asphalt. So it's not just sitting on the gross streets of San Francisco. And then scaling up, looking towards next year, I actually just got an email from like one of the wholesalers we're going to start working with and they need a really well fleshed out food safety plan. Um, so we're going to start working on that now, but really for next year, we're, we're probably going to start working with at least one wholesale distributor. Laminating and posting these SOPs right now, our crew is still super small, but next season probably have more employees. And then getting some sort of a rodent-proof dry storage for our non-refrigerated crops. So, and that'll probably happen this fall when the winter squash comes in. Uh, we have a, a really great um, clean rodent-proof cooler, but we don't really have like a room temperature storage for like winter squash and shallots and, and things like that. Yeah, then that's kind of that's kind of all I got. So. Cool. Well, we can open it up for questions and we'll, we'll just go from there. Um, do you not use any plastic bags or things like that for your vegetables? Uh, yeah, we do. We'll, well, we use a plastic crate liner. This season, we only use brand new wax boxes for any kind of grocery store or restaurant orders. In a brand new wax box, we don't use a plastic liner because it's brand new. But if we are using a reused plastic or a reused wax box, uh, we will use a plastic liner in it. Uh, and the reused wax boxes, which are CSA boxes, some customers bring them back to us. We have them like sit on their own pallet for a week, um, just in case there's anything on it, and we like just let time kind of like disinfect them. But then, anyways, we use a plastic bag. But we don't wash. We don't say it's washed. It's not like pre-washed bag greens. It's just they're just in a bag, <laughs> so they're not loose. I can talk a little more about our market setup if people think that's interesting, because I feel like we actually have a really good COVID setup. Um, so essentially the way that our market setup works is, like I explained, like our, we have our line that starts on one side and then I help the customers. But then the way that we, we try to cut down on packaging but also maintain food safety is um, we stack those orange crates up and then we call those like our customer's shopping cart. Um, so while they put tell me what they want, I load a harvest tote for them anything that needs to get weighed i do bag and then i hand that to the assistant because then he can handle that because he's not touching the produce directly but anything that's loose like a bunch i'll just put it straight into that tote for the customer and then we literally like push the tote out <laughs> like we kick it out like five feet and then they then they can load their own reused like bag like plastic bags or they can load their 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 tote bag with it and then we like while well, the next customer i'm helping like ian will go out and like pull the tote back in yeah we we're in arizona it's really hot even in the winter time it gets warm and we have to pack everything in ice 
We don't like it, but we have to bag everything. Yeah, I mean, we haven't broken like 70 degrees yet here this summer, so. <laughs> I was wondering if you could say more about the cattle pond and your water. That's really interesting to me because I have some animals out here as well. Maybe repeat or kind of go through the details of how you were thinking through of how to make that safe. Sure. So yeah, one of our parcels is located on a cattle ranch and we share the reservoir. Like it's the same water for our irrigation as our landlord's cattle. Previously, it had just been like, you know, open to the cattle to come in and drink out directly out of the pond. But uh, obviously there's concerns about manure uh, running off into the water and then any kind of like bacteria, bacteria then getting pumped out of the pond and getting onto the leaves of the vegetables. So using NRCS money, the, the previous farmer that I took over this parcel of land from uh, got NRCS funding to, to fence out the entire pond. And then there's a big stock holding tank that uh, as we irrigate the field, it will like refill that tank and then it just gravity feeds into a system of like 10 or 12 troughs that are always full of water. So that way, at least we can keep the cattle out. And, but obviously there's still a lot of concerns with, sur- with using surface water. It's probably the riskiest like form of water that you could use a stagnant pond. Because, you know, we, we can exclude the cattle, but we have like, you know, 80 geese, like, and ducks and birds and frogs and everything's in there. And like, you know, we do our best to be able to keep the, the larger quantity of manure out from, from the cattle. But then that comes into kind of like your decisions around like, how do you irrigate, right? So we intentionally use drip irrigation. With the drip, mo- most of the time, the plant's leaves don't come into contact with the water itself whereas overhead wood. Um, and then we also, we plant in blocks. We establish our crops on overhead for 10 days and then we transition everything to drip. So we do have some aluminum sprinkler pipe, but we only establish and we plant in these blo- these big blocks so that only the overhead reaches that block. And then uh, every week as we're like moving down the field with the block, the overhead is moving. So when we're harvesting the most mature crop, it's at the furthest point away from the overhead. Then there's other little things, just like clear labeling of our irrigation system, where we do have risers that are potable water, and then we have risers that are pond water, and they're like really clearly painted green or blue, like blue for potable, green for pond, um, so that um, you're never like, oh, I wonder where this water is coming from, you know? <laughs> like it's it's pretty clear. And a, a few other ways NRCS can help with that too. I mean, it's hard to say it'll ever be safe because it's an unprotected, but definitely all those ways you're mitigating and lowering your risk. And RACS will also help you put in filter strips or buffer strips around the pond. And so when it rains, those filter strips really will help just be another step to keep that water as clean as possible. Yeah, fencing them out. It can be hard, especially if you don't own the land, but it's definitely like the first step. It's just trying to keep them out of there because it's, it's just so hard. Yeah, something I I also uh, forgot to mention in the slides, but thinking about like starting your farm off kind of like on the right foot with food safety, like we grow outside, you know, like birds fly over and shit on the lettuce, like it's just gonna happen. And like, there's, there's always a risk of food safety of like of contamination. But aside from like the systems you're putting in place to prevent and mitigate food safety, I think it's also important to like put systems in place to protect yourself and to protect your business in the situation that there is a food safety problem. Before I signed the lease, like I incorporated as as a LLC, if you're set up as a sole proprietor, and you end up getting someone sick, and you have an E. coli outbreak, and you get sued, 
and you're just a sole proprietor, basically like any, any of your personal assets, like everything you own is up for up, up at risk. Not saying I own anything like beyond the farm, but, but, you know, thinking ahead, like ideally at some point I'll move into it, you know, maybe I'll have a truck that I don't use for the business that I want to keep. And if something ever happened, I wouldn't at least have to worry about my personal assets being, being lost to that. And then also with these things, like communicating with your landlords about whose responsibility is what, like, I'm always thinking like worst case scenario, like, like somebody could get sick and it could just happen. But if you show that you have done like everything you can showing that you're, you're actively trying to do your best, I think would hopefully help you in court if you got sued. I don't know. We'll say that that is not official legal advice, but I think that it's like, you know, you're getting there, you're onto something. Um, it, it, like, it helps you like sleep better at night. <laughs> yes. In the same vein as the water, I'm curious about the agreement that you had with your landlord. Did you have someone help you with it? And would you potentially be willing to share it? Because I think that that is something that could be a useful tool yeah, we don't have like a separate document. I, I just have it like in an email, like you will do this, 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 and this. And like, I will do this, this, and this. But that was just like an email correspondence uh, mm-hmm. with my landlords. The main thing that it kind of like stemmed out of was that in the original lease on it, it says landlord shall provide potable water for washing vegetables. So that was kind of the impetus of like, okay, what does that mean? And like, can we expand on that? For folks who are looking at leasing, like opening a new lease, like, I mean, in California, we have an or- a nonprofit called FarmLink that that drafted our lease. Thinking about all of those things, you know, like whose responsibility is the water? And like, if the landlord says they're going to provide potable water, like, how do you know it's potable? And if something happened with it, like, it is their fault. It's not your fault because in your lease, it says like they are responsible to make sure you have clean water. So, yeah. How many times a year do they test the water? They test once a month. It's tested negative every time, especially like, and now we're chlorinating too. So it feels pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like my landlords put in like a really nice, like automated, like chlorine, like automatic chlorination thing too, which was something I requested because I didn't want originally one of the landlords was like going to handle like maintaining the chlorine and doing the testing on the farm. But I asked for them to just get an automated chlorine injector because I, trust that over somebody like oh shit i forgot to put the chlorine in this month you know so like things like that it's like okay that's like really great intention but like let's just do it right you know yeah i was wondering what your favorite bin or anyone can answer this favorite bins and crates that are easily sanitized because i have a bunch of bins and crates and now that i'm doing more sanitizing because of covid there's some that I'm like, oh, these are actually like really annoying to scrub and clean before you can sanitize them. I love my totes. We just, we got a, we got a grant from, from NYFC actually this year to buy harvest totes. And we got those like neon orange, like traffic cone yeah. orange harvest where, totes. Where, those are from, where are those from? Those are from Rainflow on the East Coast. Okay. And they're really great to clean and sanitize. Like they don't have a lot of ridges. Like they're super cheap. They're like $10 each or something or $11 okay. each. Okay. I have a couple different designs and like some are easier to clean, but the ones that like have all this texture on them, they're like so, so annoying. To- yeah. What I came down to making the decision on was like, it matters more to just have all the same crate then like is this the best crate i feel like so we just picked one and we like stick with that one and like 
yeah, they just all are the same, which is great. <laughs> I also want to um, bring everyone's attention to Billy, who just shared, uh, he shared UVM's blog. He specifically shared a post about cleaning, sanitizing, and disinfecting, and kind of like, what is the difference between those three steps? It helps demystify it a little bit. But I also want to shout out that UVM did an entire blog post about crates as well and cleaning and sanitizing them. They're consistently a great resource, and I just wanted to shout that out. If you're going to start cleaning and sanitizing, it's really good to make sure that it's at the right concentration so you don't accidentally create some like brand new risk. Another one of the systems that we have in place, too, for making sure that our crates are clean and sanitized is we harvest all of our produce into those orange totes for CSA, and then we bring them into the packing shed. And on CSA days, we have a three-person team that packs the, the 65 boxes. And the way we set it up is one person builds the wax boxes, one person packs them, like we set out all the contents on these onto tables, and one person like moves along, fills the box, gives it to the next person who closes it, labels it, and puts it in the cooler. But that first person, because they can build boxes faster than we can pack and store them, as we're like emptying the contents and building the boxes, they're replenishing the contents on the table and then they clean and they sanitize and restack the crate while that's happening. So by the end of our CSA pack, we've like packed, labeled, stored all of our boxes and actually washed and sanitized all of our crates um, to get ready for our Friday uh, farmer's market harvest. So that all is kind of happening at the same time. Hi, this is Jade with Menorah Farm in Colorado. Um, I just wanted to know if everyone had resources on how to actually formulate your like legitimate food safety plan. I'm not good with the terminology and it scares me a little, so I need a, some more resources. Scott, I would love to hear what you used for your plan and then Billy and I could share some other resources that we, that we know of. Sure. You can put together a pretty simple plan pretty quickly. Our food safety plan like looks like pretty much like the presentation I gave. Like I wrote out just not in any fancy terms because I think like fancy terms also are going to be harder for anybody else who comes to your farm to like interact with that guide. I, I literally just wrote this out with like bullet points. Like during our pre-harvest, we maintain food safety by and then like 10 bullet points. And then during harvest, we maintain food safety by 10 bullet points or however many bullet points. During post-harvest, we maintain food safety by. During transportation, we maintain food. So I just broke down like every step of, of our day and of the transportation and movement of produce and anywhere that there could be a risk. And I just wrote like, during this, this is what we do. And it's really simple. And that, I mean, that's my like winter plan and scaling for next year is to like take that and then come up with, you know, more details and work off of something that's more aligned with the yeah, like FISMA and GAPS and stuff. What exactly are you writing a food safety plan for? I want to write it just for my own peace of mind, like having it written down in case if anything goes wrong, but also to work with wholesale accounts. I just want to be prepared. I think what Scott said is typically what I've been talking to farmers about, kind of like starting with the things you know you are do doing and putting those in writing. And then there are some other uh -huh. templates. Cornell has a, a template for writing a farm food safety plan that will help with GAP certification. So it's pretty intense. University of Minnesota also released a template for kind of like a small scale farm food safety plan that is not for, it's not for an audit, passing an audit or any sort of certification, but 
might be a place that you can jump up to and then you could go to doing the full scale audit ready farm food safety plan. If you have specific customers that want that like require that kind of food safety written template, uh, you could ask them if they would be willing to share like what they are looking for also. Um, the, the wholesaler that I'm, I'm planning on working with a little bit this fall and, and next year, he told me, he was like, oh, I can help. He said, I can help you put together your food safety plan and like I can send you the templates of, of folks that we work with. And I just also want to say that if anyone ever has any further produce safety questions, you are more than welcome to email me or call me. We are able to do kind of one-on-one consultations is what we're calling them, but we would do them via Zoom or the phone so we don't have to be there in person with you and we're happy to talk through. We're always happy to do that. Yeah, and if you're looking for any more resources, feel free to hit us up. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah, thanks to everyone. Bye, y'all. This podcast was edited by the lovely and talented Hannah Beal and recorded in partnership with the National Farmers Union over the summer of 2020 as part of our FSOP produce safety programming. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode from our food safety focus group series. 